This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. I would also just say, like spending some time alone and like really learning about yourself mm. and learning about, you know, what your flaws are. Because I find with my experience from transitioning from one relationship to the next relationship, trying to like, you know, receive healing in it without understanding like what went wrong, just like blaming this person, this girl did this, she did that. Um, there isn't much growth from me. So I'm bringing in the old me into like a new relationship. Mm. But on top of that, I'm also, I also got my, my guard up because I was hurt in the previous relationship. Right. So I spend the whole time in the new relationship trying to get that girl to prove to me that she isn't my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> well, welcome to the Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the show where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And you guessed it, we asked them three questions. But today we're actually going to ask five because the interview, this conversation is just going to be so damn good. We have to make it five questions. Um, but rather than you know focusing on people's kind of wins and successes, we're going to talk about their failures and their experiences and ultimately the lessons that they learn uh, from these experiences in their life. So without further ado, I got my man Carlos here, who's the author and writer of Pretty Boys Don't Cry, which is, which my own description of it is like, it's a, is a kind of like a rite of passage, a coming of age piece about love, about toxic masculinity, about um sex about coming into manhood like a little bit of everything um so without further ado carlos why don't you give the people uh, a very brief synopsis about who you are and, and, and what you do oh man um well my name is carlos as you guys know and i'm a writer um i started out just started with publication I got published through Cry, and then shortly after that, they I had this draft reading where um, Curran was like, yo, I need you to go ahead and like do something for this reading. So I did a reading, and the reading was basically like um, a trailer for like for like my book, because I didn't have anything like edited down for my book. My book just had like, it was like just 35,000 words, but it wasn't like organized the way that I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So then I did the draft reading series, and um, everybody was like applauding, like bigging me up. And, and then like the next day, Kern and like Safia, they like reached out to me and they're just like, yo, what you did at Strap Reading Series was dope. We want to get you on 11 literature for like our next story. Mm -hmm. And um, from there, that's when they're like, look, we just want you to start with what you already have in the book. And we want you to focus on like teen love. We want you to go ahead and focus on, you know, the situation with like, your baby mother and then we want you to go ahead and talk a little bit about like your childhood and like where you are right now okay okay i don't want to give the two people too much man but we're gonna unpack a lot of what you just talked about so let's start with the first uh question so i'm gonna i'm gonna quote or read a line or two uh from your story pretty boys don't cry which you can find on love and literature so it goes like this i was a heartthrob that looked like a member of a boy band I had the maturity of a crooner sprinkled with 
bad boy braids that were paired with diamond studs. I was a father's worst nightmare. The girls treated me like a sex object and I loved it. So let's stop there and unpack that. Um, describe to me the pivotal moments during your teenage years that really, you know, shaped your perspective on love and relationships. Oh man. Um, that's a really, really like tough. I mean, to like really shape because what I wrote was really like a summary of like what was actually happening to me at the time. Mm -hmm. But there was like so much more stuff that was going on that I had to leave out because of the word count. Um, I touched on it a little bit in chapter three, but mm -hmm. chapter three was where I had like a, a, piv a pivotal moment because um, mm -hmm. this girl I was dating that I wasn't even interested in being in a relationship with, um, she dumped me. Mm -hmm. And um, when one of her like homegirls, who was also a friend of mine, when she was like telling me why, um, you know, she told me that I just um, I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to talk to the girl and that I put her up on a, 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 a pedestal and mm -hmm. I was always giving her compliments, which was true. I didn't have anything in common. I didn't want to be with her. So um, after that, she she ended up lowering my self-esteem even lower. Because she later told me that, like, I was whitewashed because I didn't dress the way that, like, um, typical guys were dressing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I was, like, one of, like, three black kids in the school, mm -hmm. right? So they expected me to, like, fit into the stereotype of, like, having, like, baggy clothes and having my hair braided. And that's pretty much exactly what I ended up doing. Like, I ended up getting my hair braided, mm -hmm. like, that year, which, like, shortly after. Um, I upped my swag. I, mm -hmm. I basically was like Allen Iverson and like and like B2K. If they had like a baby, that would be like what like came out of that situation. That's funny. The B2K reference. That's a that's hilarious. Omarion, I'm assuming that would be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, when I went to high school, it was like culture shock for me because it was a lot more black people. Got it. White so what you were talking majority. about was was junior high and then you went to yeah. high school? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So when I went to high school, it was like culture shock. White people were actually like the minority. And then like the girls were just like feeling me. You know what mm. I mean? So they would like buy me lunches. I wouldn't have to like worry about my lunches being paid for. And some of the guys were hating on me. One guy tried to like fight me, but I left that out because there's only so much that we can actually talk about. Right, right, right. No, that's 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 very interesting because I could see how it could go a lot of different ways. So from that time period, so let's talk about the high school moment. What do you believe was one of the biggest lessons you learned either about love or sex or relationships during your, your high school phase? Or maybe you can speak to all three, but you can just pick one if, if you can. Um, in high school, I learned that girls cheat just like guys cheat mm. and they can and they can do you worse um because they're better liars some people say that's what some people say um i don't know if they're better liars i don't know if they're better liars i mean i thought that i was good and i felt like i was good because mm. like the only suspicion that girls had was when i was at work because that's where like shorty was that like i was having the affair with she mm. was at work but the thing is it's like how i treated shorty wasn't any different than how i was treating any other girl you mm. know what i mean like i was always very like flirtatious with every girl 
So whenever like a whenever like um Shauna, the character Shauna mm-hmm. had like approached me about like me cheating or like or anything, mm-hmm. I was like, babe, I'm like this with everybody. So like, mm-hmm. why are you tripping? I'm even like this with your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like these girls are all like touching my abs, feeling me up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Some of these girls are like buying my lunches, they're carrying my books. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand what the issue is. Mm. you know what i mean so like the devil did i just went ahead and i just doubted her argument you know what i mean i made her doubt herself you placed that doubt in there okay exactly and then from there it was able for me to kind of get away with everything that i was getting away with right okay so you your biggest lesson you learned was girls cheat too in high school yeah in high school i would say yeah okay so let's go on to question number two let's get a little bit more um, I don't want to say personal because this entire conversation is personal, but I think in chapter two, you, you go a little bit deeper, right? I, the way that I, I feel like the story's laid out and I think it's laid out really well is like, it's like you're peeling back an onion and each chapter you get a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. I don't know if that was intentional, but if it was, it was right on the money. So in chapter two, you talk about uh, the mother of your first child, the character Liz, and you said that Liz wasn't the type to see closure and break up. She would just go from one relationship to the next. Then you also make mention that one day you came home from work only to find Liz in bed with another man. Can, can you talk about that moment and, you know, the lessons you learned from that particular relationship in your life? Well, it was actually, I actually came home from the club okay. and it was late and uh, it was crazy. I walked in, I remember it like it was yesterday. I walked in mm. and uh, the boots, there were like Timberland boots on the ground. Oh, Ooh. right. So the first thing I did, and I actually wrote like this scene in like one of the scripts, one of the pilots that I just created. Yeah. But I walk in and then um, I look to the couch and her brother isn't there. And normally, like, her brother would be, like, the only guy that I would expect to be in the house. Because mm. occasionally, he would come through and they would, like, he would crash or whatever. Mm. So instead of, like, a body being on the couch, there's just, like, clothes everywhere. The place is just, like, a complete mess. I go into, um, my heart starts beating because I'm, like, what the fuck's going on? Wow. So then I walk, I walk to my daughter's room because usually when I'm out partying, my daughter's always sleeping with my ex. Hold on a second. Right. So your daughter was home? Yeah. So let me get back into the story. Let me get back. Yeah, into the yeah, story. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go, into, I go inside my daughter's room to like check on her to see if she's, to see if she's in there. Because normally when I'm clubbing, like my daughter is sleeping inside my room. Mm. Right. And, and she's sleeping with, um, with my, with, my ex at the time. She was basically like a comfort for her because I wasn't home. Mm. Right. So I went in there and my daughter's there fast asleep. My heart starts like beating at like a thousand like beats a minute. So hold on yeah. one, one second. So what were you thinking it was at that time? Did you did you know I yet? Automatic, I automatically knew that that she was like she was sleeping with another person. Because mm. I always had like insecurities like throughout our relationship. She was right. always talking to like exes. Right. And I didn't, there was a point where like some of her friends would be like, yo, your daughter doesn't even look like you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like her girlfriends would go ahead and they would say that. And then it just made my like insecurity just echo even more. Like I felt even more insecure. 
So right. I was like always on alert. Um, anyway, long story short, I went into um, the room, saw her and the other dude. And so what she was, I'm, I'm sorry, this is just really juicy to me because you obviously hear about these things on television, but rarely do you ever hear about yeah. these things in person. So by the time you you come into the room, were they just like packing up? Like they, they heard you coming or were they just continuing doing the damn thing? They were just getting up and like he had like, he looked like he was like getting ready to leave. Yeah. And she like had like just like fixed up her dress. She was wearing this like really short, dress but it was one of those like cotton spandex dresses but like mm, really tight yeah so yeah she came at me and she's like yo it's not like what it looks like it wasn't even expecting home because i came home obviously like, i came home at like maybe like three something in the morning right because right. i was coming home from the club and i only came home because like i had like alcohol spilled on me from the night i was i was supposed to go sleep at my boy's house yeah Right. And I just came home to change so that I can go to work in a few hours. Right. Wow. So I came home to basically change, catch a few wings and then go to work. And then, yeah, that's when that happened. Wow. Wow. So talk about. So now you, you caught them in the act or they're, they're putting on their clothes. She says it's not what it looks like. What's your response? Like what what's what's going through your mind at that point? I don't even know if I want to tell you guys all of this because I have so much of it in the book. It's going to be in like the script for this pilot that I just worked on. And I feel like if I tell you, I'm going to be like ruining the detail. Just, just one little bit, one little bit, pick, pick one little nugget, one little nugget. Okay. Just, which, what's the one nugget that you want to know? You want to know how, that, like what happened, what, what took place that like ended things or like, what do you want to know? Or do you yeah, want to know, know the one response? So I, I want to know, you know, I want to know what you did once you saw that and she said that to you. So I want to know what you did after that. And, and that's it. And then we can we can end with okay. that part. So I, I went to go get our daughter. Mm -hmm. I picked her up and I started like getting her stuff ready because we were just going to leave. Mm. So I just leave it at that. And you guys just bounced. Okay. No, that's that's. um. That part right there, chapter two, my friend, um, that would be a good teaser, just saying for a trailer. So that'd be a good teaser right there. Um, so, there's, so there's something else I wanted to hit on when you were describing the character Liz. You said that um, she wouldn't seek closure. She would go from you know one relationship to another. In general, do you feel that a lot of people don't know how to be alone. Do you feel like that's a common thing with a lot of folks? Yeah, I think definitely even like for myself, because when our relationship ended, I was just looking for like the next thing to heal. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that was my way of getting over the relationship was just allowing myself to be consumed with as many women as I could possibly like just run through until the, until the hurt would stop, right? But for me, because of the fact that like, I consider myself to be a pretty boy. I had a certain standard, right? Mm. So if I was going to get into a relationship with another girl, she had to be equally as hot as my baby mother. Because otherwise, like, I was, it was considered to be like a downgrade, mm. right? But the thing is, is then, like, with every girl, there's like an 80 20 rule. You know what I mean? Mm. So I may get some good things out of the relationship, but then there's other things that I'm not getting. 
But deep down, what I had realized after all of it, that it was really like me, like the, the issue wasn't me. It's like I was trying to fill like this void that was coming from like Absolutely. my self-esteem being low and, and my own personal insecurity. Right. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense because I, I was actually just going to go there and say, hey, what were you what void do you think you were trying to fill with just adding another woman into your life? And I could totally relate to that. I actually did a similar exercise um, with my therapist, I think about maybe a month or two ago. And um, I don't know how the conversation came about, but I figured out through this, our conversation that in my, let's say I'm 36. So my 18 years, my adulthood, of dating life, I've only been single three years, and that's not even consecutively. That's me piecing six months here, six months there, or whatever the the combination is. And then I was like, do I have a fear of being alone? Like a subconscious one that I'm not aware of? Like I grew up as an only child, so I'm used to rocking solo, you know? But I was just starting to ask myself, do I always feel like I need to have somebody there? And it just made me think that when you brought that up in the story, it resonated because I feel like a lot of people, you know, I have a lot of friends that talk about, especially women, who talk about the fear of being, you know, reaching the age of 40 and being alone, not having somebody, or I don't want to die alone. So I feel that a lot of people go through that. And that point that you called out in your story, I think resonates pretty well. Yeah, that was like one of my, like, it was just a weird complex, like looking back at it, because as much as I didn't want to be alone, I always took the women that kept me company for granted because mm. it was so easy for me to go ahead and like get another girl. You right. Know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. I mean, we all take some aspects of someone or something for granted for sure. So you definitely are not the only person who's done that. But no, these are very things. And I love the way that you make yourself so vulnerable throughout this story as well. But let's go on to uh, question number three. So in chapter number three of Pretty Boys Don't Cry, which you can find on Love and Literature, you share the fact that your mother tried to have an abortion, but she was too far in the pregnancy journey and therefore ended up being with the mistake that she couldn't undo. Mm-hmm. Now, you also make mention that growing up, you had an abusive childhood, both physically and psychologically, and that you actually prefer the physical abuse over the psychological abuse. So I want to stop there and ask you about the abuse part, the physical versus psychological. Why did you prefer the psychological abuse or physical abuse, excuse me, over the psychological abuse? Because those wounds just, they heal faster, Mm. you know, like. I would, there was only a limit to how long I would feel hurt for. Mm. Whereas they were always in my head. They were in my mm. head with everything that I did. I still hear them now. Wow. The only difference is just as me as an adult, um, with all the work that I've been doing on myself, the voices have just kind of like drowned it out, but they're still there. And I just kind of look at them. I mean, it's not just their voices, but there's also like other voices, like my own voices right. that, that have kind of developed from from my own past experiences and just kind of like some of the people that have just made me feel bad. Right. Um, it's kind of like imposter syndrome. Right. No. And I'm glad you went there because that's where I was going. So over the years, you talked about some of the work that you've been doing on yourself. So 
can you speak specifically about some of the things that you did to kind of work through that trauma? Like, and ultimately, I don't know if you are over it, but if you are, how did you get over it? And uh, if you can share any of those details and, and those things that you've been doing. Uh, well, definitely, like therapy definitely helped. Okay. Um, I started going to this church called Elevation. Ah, so Pastor Stephen Furtick. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, um, so I started going to that church. And listening to him preach, Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of changed my perspective. Yeah. And um, coupled with, there was like, there was a situation where um, my kids had like seen like their mother or overheard her like in in the shower, like crying. Mm. And I had remembered when I was younger, how my stepfather would, he used to make my mother cry. Mm. Right. So that was like, and my son has my name, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when I was like, I got to do better and I got to break the cycle because I don't want him making the same mistakes that I've made. And that's right. why I decided to like basically dedicate my life to stopping people from making the same mistakes I've made. Right. You know, what's interesting with you saying that it made me think of something. I was watching um, something online with uh, Tore Roberts, which is the husband of uh, Sarah Jakes, T.D. Jakes' daughter. Um, they're both pastors. And he said, there is no other relationship or thing in the world that will force you to grow and look at yourself more than marriage. Um, and I think when you just describe that moment um, of who I assume you're talking about your wife in that moment when she was crying in the shower, that that and then the way that your son responded to that made you say like okay i gotta i really gotta start putting into some some work so i think um that makes i think that just calls out so much because um it's one thing to kind of it's so easy to call out someone else's flaws but to actually be mad enough to look yourself in the mirror and say you know what i gotta to clean up some stuff for myself because I don't want to pass on this trauma and this type of thinking to the next generation is, is really powerful. Uh, but you said you did the therapy. Yeah. So I did therapy. Yeah. Um, Started going to church. Yeah. Yep. So that helped me. Um, then I saw a natural path because I was going through like a lot. Um, Interesting. Basically what happened was um, my body was like shutting down and I was working a lot. Yeah. And I was doing a lot. So I just like my hands would start like shaking as if I had like Parkinson's. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, and I couldn't sleep. So I went to the naturopath to get checked out. My wife had gone to see him. He told me that I was um, there was there was a lot of trauma that um, that I had been suppressing over the years. Right. And because of the fact that um my body had had reached the point where it couldn't suppress it anymore because I was smoking a lot of weed to try to like deal with my emotions. Right. Right. Um, and basically what it would, the weed just eventually did was they just neutralized, they just neutralized my nerves. Right. Right. So he told me that, um, that I was, I was also burnt out and I had the trauma and he's like, I need to like rest. Mm. Um, or I'm pretty much going to like, eventually kill myself wow so that's what i did i rested he gave me some like affirmations to help me deal with the trauma 
Um, right. He did some tests and he said that writing is also going to help me get like uh, deal with the trauma. So he said writing and affirmations and then couple that with like church. I listen to like many sermons a day sometimes. Right. Um, reading the Bible um, and then therapy. Like so having like all five of those things is where it brought me to like where I am now. Right. Right. And I, I think some of your outlets um, are very similar to mine. Like I've always kind of more or less been in and out of the church. I wouldn't consider myself necessarily a religious person, but faith-based, you know? And, you know, when I found Elevation, I was like, oh, this felt like home to me. It was a perfect mixture of what someone like myself needs. Um, so I could def- I'm definitely online with you on that as well. And then the therapy, I just started therapy this year. Um, I've had a, a men's coach before, but now I actually, you know, went out and saw like someone who, you know, who was a certified psychologist and, and has all the degrees. And what was most important about that is the connection was there as well. Like, cause I think with therapy, it's one thing to find someone that has the degrees and the certifications, but to have the trust factor and that connection really allows you to open up so you can address the the, the kind of things that you need to. So I definitely align with you there as well. And the natural path thing, that's new to me. I feel like for me, I, I work out. That's kind of another one of my outlets. I go to the gym or I do boxing. Um, and then music is another thing of mine. But that's really clutch that the natural path is something I think I want to look into as well, because I, I do feel like all those pieces play a role into, you know, getting your mental and your mind state. Right. Because if this is not right, everything else will just kind of fall off the wheels. But no, that's 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 um that's very key and helpful um so let's talk about and should i ask you are you over it or are you still uh, working through it i think i'm not completely over all of the trauma i think i'm still working through it but i'm definitely in a much better place than i was before so let me ask you this when were you when was the moment where you're like i'm comfortable to talk about this on like a, a grand scale when was that moment like and what was that you know switch where like yeah i could i could talk about this publicly um i let me see when was the moment that i was like i think it was probably when i started my website that was a couple years ago and i was planning on blogging yeah because i was already writing but like i just felt like my relationship with my wife was over Mm. and i was like you know what time for me to go ahead and, and tell everybody my side of the story mm. so that's when i was like i'm just gonna go ahead and like say whatever because at that point i just didn't care i was like mm. i'm just gonna go ahead and put it out i was giving advice to a lot of my cousins who were just were just continuing the cycle like that i was continuing mm-hmm. and um i was like you know what there might be some other people who might actually value this information and who might actually want to change Mm. So that's when I decided to just make um, my knowledge public. I started out with the blog and then I started writing for like um, Cry after that and then Love and Literature and mm. now I'm like on like an interview tour. Right. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it was a point where you felt like you had nothing to lose and you're like, why not? Yeah. I got it. I got it. Okay. That's yeah. clear. My so, whole thing was because yeah. at that point I was like, if we were, because at the point we were looking at a divorce. And mm. like she was getting ready to like up and leave and take the kids. Mm. And I couldn't establish boundaries with like my other ex, right? Mm. So I was just I was just at a place where I was like, it's just gonna be me by myself. 
And, you know, people are going to be looking at the situation, not knowing everything. So I was like, I'm just going to write about it. Like, fuck it. Mm. And mm. then that's where it started. I got it. That At least my being, kids will know. Uh, being in that place will do it for you. And it's funny, like, I find people change either in two scenarios. And one is when they feel like they hit rock bottom, as in they have nothing to lose. Or I guess the other one is, you know, very similar to that, where they feel like just disgusted with themselves, where it's not even just rock bottom, but they're just like, yo, I don't, I don't like my situation. So I, I'm, I'm just disgusted. I got to change. So no, that's, that's, that's very key. What you just mentioned there. Um, so moving on to question four in chapter number four, uh, you meet Lynn who then becomes your new girlfriend and the future mother of your two other children. Uh, but while you're dating Lynn, she said to you, if you ever want to spice things up, Carlos, uh, it's okay to bring other women into the bedroom. So let's talk about like open relationships and, and marriage. Because um, Lynn, I believe, is a character you did end up marrying. Is that correct? Yes. Right. So what are some key factors people can consider or should consider before uh, going into kind of like an open marriage type of situation because a lot of people talk about it but like most things it's more than it actually seems so what are some like key factors one should consider before entering that type of arrangement um well i wouldn't say that mine was even like a traditional type of like open marriage mm. because i wasn't allowed to go ahead and just be with whoever i wanted you know mm. what I mean? there were just moments where she was just like um you know you can go ahead and sleep with that girl or if you know we invited a girl into like our bedroom but it wasn't like i can go out and be with whoever i wanted so she dictated correct okay and so does that mean that she always picked the woman or did you ever say hey there's this girl i met is she cool or like how did that work <laughs> oh man it's so funny um usually what would happen is she would become friends with the girl okay and she would become friends with the girl through me because I always had a lot of female friends mm. or I would still maintain relationships with exes or girls that I hooked up with. Right. So they mm. would end up becoming friends with her. Got it. Got it. And so talk about how did you guys deal with like the criticism? Because I imagine people who get into open relationships, one of the challenges they, they might have is that, you know, they might see Carlos out coming from another girl's home. And being like, oh, no, he's cheating on his girl, not knowing that your girl's totally cool with it. And maybe she's even coming on. She's coming over to the same house later on. But because they're, they're not aware of their arrangement. So how did you guys deal with like the criticism that came with, you know, being in an, an open marriage? Uh, it was a little bit challenging at times because it was kind of different for me. So I had like some of my boys that were like, yo mad props carlos you got the best relationship of course all the guys all the guys said that yeah yeah and they're like Mm. yo i want to get a girl like you and then they like branded her name as like the type of girl that they like aspire to have the prototype yeah so she was Mm. like the prototype for them but then i had one guy friend who um him and his like brother they would like be in our ear and being like oh you deserve so much better you shouldn't have to do you know you shouldn't have to like going through any of this type of stuff and like that that kind of stuff like hurt me because those guys like one of those guys in particular he was like 
he was like my homie. You know what I mean? Like he was mm. homeless. I took care of him, treated mm. him like a child, really. Like had him live with me, you know, like dressed him, fed him, gave him money. He was legitimately like a dependent. Wow. So it was hurtful for me to hear that he was like talking that kind of stuff. Mm. But then um, I got some information that kind of suggested that um, he just wanted me all to himself. So I don't know if he was like bi or whatever. Oh, wow. But That's... making a making a long story short, him yeah. and I just we eventually like our, our friendship eventually like fizzled out. And um, I that those stories about about that relationship, my friendship with him. I left that out of pride, but that's going to be into the book. And um, people are going to definitely see a lot of that in my uh, digital content. Okay. I'm liking that. I'm liking that. So uh, on that note of, you know, open marriages, what is the biggest misconception you believe people have about, you know, open relationships, open marriages? What's, what's, what's the trap that people <laughs> often fall into you find? Uh, um. I think the stereotypes that kind of come with it, mm. um, that it's um, that it's like a free for all. There's also like not much respect. Mm. So um, girls, instead of you know, like some girls are respectful, some girls aren't. Mm. Um, and by respectful, I might mean like they don't understand your situation or your boundaries. They just go after what it is that they want. Mm. And I mean. When you have boundaries in a relationship, people are going to have problems with certain things. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so by those people, you're referring to people that you're bringing into the relationship or people that are just kind of around your environment that kind of have an idea of what's going on. Are you referring to those people? People that are in the relationship. Got it. They might not want to respect the boundaries. Understood. Okay. No, I could, I could see how that could play out. And I definitely, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Shy. Um, great show. Uh, but there's a scene that's similar. And I actually thought of your, I uh, thought of you and your story because in this scene, there's a guy, he's like a pitted boy too. He recently marries his wife, but he's always been like a perennial kind of cheater throughout their relationship. But he got his stuff together, opened up a restaurant. And then his business partner is Lala Anthony. but in this thing in the show this is his business partner with this restaurant and then one night they're working late together and then boom they smash yeah and then that was it one time when i'm done they're like oh it shouldn't have happened it was kind of sealed and dealed tucked away but after a while after they got married the guilt started getting to him and then one day he just came out with it and he just told his wife he's like oh i slept with so-and-so and she ran off, ended up having revenge sex with some other dude, mm. and then came back. They talked it out, and then she was like, I want to have an open marriage. And he was like, what? She's like, and so he's like, so you want to sleep with other guys? She's like, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. And I'm like, whoa, wow. Mm, that's, 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 that I know that's, that's one of those double standard conversations, because I know, like, you know, traditionally speaking, at least from what I hear, most guys would not be cool with that. I know some guys are, but they're cool with the whole women part, but not with yeah. the whole, okay, uh, yeah. you know. So anyways, made me think of uh, kind of your situation. But uh, my last question, when, when, so when people read your story, you know, Pretty Boys Don't Cry, or when the book comes out, um, what do you ultimately want them to take away from it? 
are there any particular gems or is there a specific message you hope that resonates when they when they read your story man there are so many gems um because this book is equivalent it's like the way i look at it is like modern day bible stories but like my life you know in the bible how um you get to see all of their mistakes and it shows you what not to do but it also shows you what to do this book is exactly what this is this book is exactly that it's like a bible for like relationships for like toxic relationships how to know the signs how to get out of it but the storytelling is just it's just really good you know what i mean it's it's just entertaining um and i mean as far as what i want people to get out of it is I want them to be able to see like their own toxicity in mm. relationships and I want them to go ahead and like break the cycle within themselves. Right. But, like there there isn't much accountability in relationships. You said my favorite word Carlos accountability my friend and it's funny a, a friend of mine just sent me something the other day some YouTube video and a guy goes, you know, the first time someone hurts you, granted it's on them. But the second time, that's your fault because they showed you who they were and you didn't yeah. adjust. Yeah. And I, I believe that. I, I believe there's a certain truth behind that because ultimately I believe it's impossible to never get hurt because I feel like if you're never getting hurt, you're not really living a life, right? So I think it's, it's a balancing act. You can minimize it, but you're never going to not kind of have heartbreak or disappointment. I think that's just impossible. I think the key thing is learning how to to let go. Giving people the space to know someone like you is not perfect, I'm not perfect and then one day you're going to you're going to fuck up on something. And just understand that that's a possibility and you're just going to have to work through it. And through having that thought, I had this thing like, you know, I know everyone has their checklist in finding a partner, right? They got to make a certain amount of money, maybe they got to look a certain type of way, have these certain qualities, but I think one of the two ingredients people should look for when they're looking for that ideal partner whether they want to get married or not is they should ask themselves is this person someone I'd be willing to fight for cuz you know this you've been married for some time now you've been in relationships before and you know that no matter how fine the girl is no matter how great the sex is or whatever the situation is there's going to there's going to be a challenge that's going to test you both and I think if 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 the person's not someone you're willing to fight for or willing to fight with then ultimately none of those characteristics that you named are really going to matter that much. So I think those two things people should really consider uh when when looking for their partner. I agree 100%. Um I I would also just say like spending some time alone and like really learning about yourself mm. and learning about you know what your flaws are. because i find with my experience from transitioning from one relationship to the next relationship trying to like you know receive healing in it without understanding like what went wrong just like blaming this person this girl did this she did that um there isn't much growth from me so i'm bringing in the old me into like a new relationship mm. but on top of that i'm also I also got my my guard up because I was hurt in the previous relationship. Right. So I spend the whole time in the new relationship trying to get that girl to prove to me that she isn't my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> the cycle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so Yeah. 
So yeah, I really think that like people when they get out of a relationship, whether it's good or bad, however it ends, that yeah. they should definitely do like the self work. Yeah, you're right, and I think you you hit one of the key things is I think everyone before they get in, I, I won't put a certain time limit on it because we all heal at different phases, and you know, there's that saying that you know God works in mysterious ways. You could have just came out of something, and you meet someone that can actually help you to heal. Right. So there's those specific scenarios. But I will say that I think everyone should get to a point if they're coming out of a relationship, whether it was toxic or not, they should be in a place mentally where they're okay to be alone. Not saying that they want to be, but if that was to, if that's how life was to pan out, it's not the end of the world. You don't see it that way. Like you're okay to be by yourself for X amount of time. And I think that's a healthy space to be in because if you're not in that space and you do meet that person to your point, you're either going to be really guarded. And so that's going to negatively impact the relationship or you're going to be really clean because you're like, oh, I got somebody back again. And you're going to want to hold on to that. And maybe you're putting them too much on a pedestal or whatever the situation is. So really think that's clutch. Uh, so Carlos, man, um, where can people find you? Uh, let's plug some of those things that you're involved in. I know you got a, a talk with LA coming up. Um, so yeah, yeah. Let's, let's plug all those things. Yeah. Um, so I think everybody should definitely like check out. Um, they should just follow me on, on social media. I'm most active on Instagram. Um, so they can follow me at Carlos X Anthony. Um, and on my Instagram is usually in my link tree. That's where people can find um, the links to, to every to all my writing from mm. from my my personal stuff that I put on Medium to my website to the stuff I've done on love and literature my short boy series my short story series pretty boys don't cry um to the articles and um i'm hoping that depending on how things go production wise that i'll be able to show everybody uh, my new web series mm, that's dope and i'm looking forward to it man i really feel like you know you really have a very authentic relatable uh, powerful story. And it, it just, it hits on uh, so many different levels. And the one thing I'll say is I remember, so I don't know if you've ever heard of Landmark before. It's uh, like a personal development kind of course. And there's many different courses in, in Landmark, but the first one, it's called, um, uh, what is the first one called? It's like an entry level, it's called a Landmark form. Excuse me. That's what the first one's called. So this is three day course it's like 72 hours, like 12 hours a day or something like that. Um, so it's three days over a course of three days, uh, but 12 hours a day. And in this course, you're going through these kind of mental exercises. And I remember I just did this back in 2016, I think, or something like 2015. And there's about 100 people in my session. And I remember there's this lady, a uh, very beautiful woman. She was there with her husband and she got up and she shared her story. And Carlos, man, she said in her previous marriage, she was raped by her previous or former husband. And that traumatic experience was still impacting her intimacy in her new relationship. So we talked about, you know, not being able to heal. But there was something key that the instructor said. He said, you know, I get what happened to you was very traumatic. And it's an experience that, you know, no one should be able to diminish. But I have to tell you that, you know, you can either use your story to empower you or disempower you, regardless of what you what you went through. And so it's that notion, again, talk about accountability. Granted, 
it might not seem like a choice, right? It might be a pretty poor one, if, to be honest. But nevertheless, you know, the majority of us, I like to think all of us still have a choice. But it's that that whole self-reflection piece, how we how we look at that situation. But man, Carlos, man, this has been a great conversation. I'm excited for you, brother. Thank don't, you. don't don't forget about the small guys when, when you're on the, the late night with Jimmy Kimmel sharing <laughs> the story, kicking it up, you know, living that life. Let's remember these moments, man. I'm excited sure, to see man. what comes out. And guys, um, that's the end of the podcast. As you know, I like to end with, you know, if you want to impress people, you know, talk about your successes, your wins, your highlights, if you want to impress people. But if you really want to have an impact on their life, Talk about your failures, man, the the, the tri- tribulations you've been through, the struggles. That's how you really have an impact on someone's life. And Brother Carlos right here is, is doing just that. Uh, so until next time, guys, peace and love. We're out. Uh-huh.